0: Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel, and I get to have some really cool conversations with people in the sports industry, why they're in the sports industry, and why the heck they love it so much. Today, I get to chat with David Kagulu-Kalema. Should have said it right, might not have. David is absolutely incredible. He's the founder of The Coin Flip, a media company based around athletes transitioning out of sports into their professional lives and he was so much fun to talk to. Just getting to understand where he came from, what he's been doing, and how he got to where he is is absolutely incredible. The mindset he's employed and, and how he went about it working with entrepreneurs and understanding what he needed to do to become an entrepreneur himself. So I really, really hope you guys enjoy this episode with David. Yes. Very cool. So I have today I on for the love of sports, I have David Kugulu Kalema, and I'm never gonna say it right again. So I really do appreciate your time today, David. He is the founder of the coin flip and is the uh let's let's do this twenty thirteen division three basketball national champion at Amherst College. David, thanks for hanging out with me today, man. I appreciate it.
1: Mike, thank you for having me. Super excited to be, to be on this podcast. Uh, You know, I've always loved what you're doing with our athletes. Uh, Actually have some updates for you just on, you know, athletes that you've introduced me to that I'm working with. Um, But yeah, it's been a great journey starting the coin flip coming from, you know, Amherst college, a great D3 program. And happy to share my story. I mean, I live in this world of sports media, so you know, let's let's talk.
0: I like your story, man. You and I met uh, a few months ago, as we were just talking about, and uh, I just thought, you know, I kn- I knew that night I was just asking you so many questions, and I could tell you're probably like, all right, dude, I want to talk to other people, but I was so interested, so I just I just kept answer- asking you questions. You're too nice of a guy to say, get the hell out of here. So <laughs> it uh, it ended up, in at least me grabbing your contact information. You pushed me off for about three months, which hey, man, I understand. <laughs> I, I'm I'm an overpowering uh, person sometimes, but uh, I'm glad we got this opportunity to chat and really excited to dive a little bit deeper into your story man really do appreciate it
1: yeah man i'm happy to be here and i'm happy to to help your audience you know become acquainted with the coin flip and you know really talk sports media there's a lot of great athletes doing a lot of great things that are are not being told in traditional media so i think that's where where my story comes in
0: i do i love it again i think it it is so so cool but we'll we'll get to the coin flip in a little bit i promise you that but first first question i have for everybody is david why do you love
1: sports Man, we could have a whole conversation that lasts for hours just on answering that question. Well, I do think for two me, or three
0: of these, then, if you want, that's cool with me.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I think for me, it's uh, sports has played a really important role in my life. You know, my family—I'm a first-generation Ugandan uh, American, so my family came over in the early '90s, and in a lot of ways, if you speak to a lot of first-gen kids, sometimes you live between two worlds, right? You come here, and you know, within your household it reflects the culture that your parents are trying to instill in you. Then, outside of that, sometimes you're, you're trying to find your footing. But then when you go back to your, your original country, Uganda, where it's me, it's, uh, you know, you still struggle with the language a little bit. So I think sports for me allowed me to, it was a level playing field where, you know, I could, you know, communicate through how hard I played and, you know, I could make friends through teammates who I was going to battle with. And so, you know, from the age of four or five, you know, I started playing soccer. Um, at five. Then I started playing basketball at nine. You know, I had an older brother who's a year and a half older than me. So I was always playing up with him, you know, for my parents to, to save money and time. And, you know, it was just a great outlet that allowed me to find footing um, in a life filled with navigating different spaces. And so, you know, that's kind of the first answer in terms of what sports means to me and why I love it. I think the other reason why I love it is because, you know, I'm where I'm at right now because of sports. Sports pushed me from I think a shy, introverted kid to a great school, a great college program, it helped me understand the power that I have to be a persistent individual, to be somebody who can be confident. I think every trait that I think describes me and, you know, if you ask my friends, you know, who is David, I think the things that they might say, I think those things were nurtured through sports. And so, you know, I don't know who I'd be without sports but it's given me so much just in terms of my own confidence and it's directed my life in a way that you know I couldn't have foreseen I know we'll talk about the coin flip but this wasn't really planned but sports just played a great role in my life in terms of you know helping me find footing introducing me to a lot of people and just really helping me understand the power I had to be a persistent individual with a lot of drive.
0: I think I love I love both parts of that answer. To go back to the first part, I think, you know, as you said, just kind of that, that lowest common denominator, that easiest way. Everyone could communicate on a basketball court. You point, you pass, you shoot, you rebound, you understand. There's there's a lot of different ways to communicate without directly using language, right? Like that's the funniest thing about sports. You can just point, hey, 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 you, no, no, you know, that thing. You can kind of just scream and yell and point and people figure it out eventually, especially if you know the sport, right? So I think that's a really really cool way of looking at it, especially now knowing that you're, uh, you know, your first generation, you know, Ugandan American, I think that's, that's even more interesting to add that extra layer of, you know, what your home life was like, what your out of home life was like. And then as you said, going back to your home country, I mean, that's, you're living almost on three different planes all at the same time in certain situations. So that, that has to be very difficult, especially growing up. I mean, kids have it hard enough. Um, you know, my, my dad was first generation Italian, so it's a little different, but, um, you know, he still said, you know, growing up, it was it, the, you're, you're at home with your family. It's one thing, you know, you're at school with your friends, completely different. And, you know, exactly. go back to Italy. It's like, all right, you know, you have to do the whole thing with the family, you get to do the whole thing with the family. But I think that's interesting. So sticking on that point for a second, um, were there any Ugandan American athletes or just Ugandan athletes that you looked up to in soccer in basketball when you were kind of, you know, getting into sports and really starting to play a little bit more?
1: Man, not really, you know, like, especially when we were back here in the States, like, because we would spend most of our summers in Uganda, like at least four to six weeks, but like school year around back here in the States, you know, we didn't get like the news or the media on what these athletes were doing. But when we were back there, you know, we would read about them in the paper or sometimes you'd see them around, but I wasn't as acquainted with them and their stories simply because they were just hard to come by. And, you know, it's funny because when we would go back, there was a time, I think maybe we were 12, 13, we played like in a local tournament. It was like me and my brother, it was like a three-on-three tournament. And so this is the first time that I was like really in a competitive space, you know, being an athlete there with other Ugandan kids. And it was super funny because, you know, me and my brother, we were so good. Like we won the tournament, and then they like wrote about us in the paper and we had like the nickname, like uh, the Globetrotters. So they were like writing the Globetrotters, come to Uganda and like take the tournament. You know, it was, uh, it was super cool. But and then the short answer to your question is there weren't really Ugandan athletes that were like super well known, not really in my my world, but, you know, when we go back, you know, we either always be kind of around the game in some capacity, but there wasn't like a guiding light a figure that who I could say like, hey, I wanted to be him. You know, I wish there I wish going back. I wish that was the case, but it wasn't.
0: Yeah, I was I was just curious about that. I'll be, you know, hand up. Don't know too much about Ugandan sports. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you about that. But I, I'm always curious, especially with with other um with other countries, with other backgrounds, if there is, or or who there is that they, you know, people look up to, um, specifically in the sports world, obviously that's what we're talking about here. And then, you know, to your, to your second answer, you know, you know, you wouldn't be where you are without sports. You know, I totally agree with that. And and we won't have to, we'll, we'll dive deeper into that one a little bit, talking about the coin flip and everything you're doing now. Um, but I just think it is so cool how you've been able to take what you've learned and, and really, utilize it, push it forward, or, or, you know, create a media company out of it. I just think it is, it is so darn cool. So um, thank you for all of that. And also when don't no, there is no short answers. Like don't, don't say short answer. Just, just give me the long answer. I want to know everything, <laughs> man. Like this is, this is story yeah, based, no, this is long form. We're here for a while. I promise you that. So, so give me all the good stuff. I, I don't want a short answer to anything. So well, um, t- tell me about, uh, I mean, obviously at Amherst college, D3 basketball, national champion. What, what, what's it like winning a national championship, man? like that's got to be the the coolest feeling in the world.
1: It is, you know. I uh I mean from time to time I, I find myself still reflecting back on it especially as March rolls around, but it was such a special time, you know. I think it's in the moment it's really hard to to zoom out and say, "Man, we're on the way to a national championship." But being in, being in it, you're you're trying to fight for your life every game and you're really trying to just keep things going. It was one of the funnest times in my life, just, you know, creating that run. And just to be more specific on that year, because, you know, that year really ties my story together in terms of where I'm at now. But this is 2013. It was the 75th anniversary of the NCAA tournament. So the NCAA said, hey, we're going to have all three divisions play at the D1 Final Four. So we're going to have the D3, D2, and D1 guys play. It was in Atlanta that year. So, they had announced it the year before. So this was, you know, when I was a sophomore, they made the announcement and we're all looking at it like, man, we, if we get there, we could play in Phillips arena. You know, this will play where the Hawks play. And, you know, typically for us, D three guys, we're, we're playing the national, the final fours, you know, in a 6,000, 7,000 seat arena in Southern Virginia, but it was such a cool opportunity. You know, our program was so good that it wasn't like we had to like drastically improve, you know, we were right there, but, you know, I think, when I go back and I think about that team, you know, that team had so much great chemistry, like it came from our captains, um, but week in and week out, you know, you man, we knew we, you know, we knew we were gonna win at a certain point. You think, I think when you, every team gets to a certain point where you're just clicking on all the right cylinders, like the only thing that would have beaten us was ourselves. But uh, being in Atlanta, for that week, you know, we were around Syracuse, Michigan, Louisville. That was the year that uh, Louisville beat um, Michigan in the in the championship. But you know, we because of that year being a great anniversary year, you know, we spent that week with, you know, Trey Burke and Rusticulus and you know all those players. Coach Beheim, you know, it was it was really an eye opening way to celebrate a thing you see on TV your whole life, right? And so I think whatever you imagine winning a national championship to be, I think being in it is, is 10 times greater, but it's also, you have to keep your focus, right? Because I think part of, part of being able, part of great teams being able to continue being great or achieve something requires you to have talent and get there, but it also requires you to, to maintain focus and not be surprised that you're there. You have to act like you're there you have to act like you've been there before and you know it was just it was just special on a lot of levels but to do it in that way on that level was you know it 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 stamps it even more you know so I'm I'm, I'm really appreciative that I got the opportunity to do that.
0: That is a really cool way for the NCAA to to celebrate the opportunity by bringing all three divisions, putting them on the same court and saying, you know, let's go like this is we're, we're celebrating the NCAA, right? Like people always think of D1. That's just how it's going to go. But there's a lot of other schools doing a lot of other things. So let's celebrate it all. And it's basketball right like it's it's playoffs it's it's truth or it's truth or dare it's sudden death like yeah. we're, we're going we're getting it i don't care what level you're playing at it's going to be intense as hell and i want to sit there and i want to watch it so i think that that is that is just such a cool way to do it um yeah. you got something you look like you want to say something that's why i do video because that way i can see you know? hit me man let's go
1: yeah like i it, you're right and i think that um you know when when we were in it it was the the juxtaposition of like you know D3 still has pretty decent sized crowds, but the juxtaposition of, you know, knowing that that could be at the end of your journey and really getting there, you know, I I had teammates in Atlanta that were, they were wide eyed for a week, you know, and there were times where there was a few of us who was like, all right, let's remember why we're here. You know what I mean? And I even had a few teammates who like the day after the national championship game, you know, they still had to like take exams. Like their teachers wouldn't, uh, you know, they were like, all right, we're taking it at 10 a.m. here in Amherst, you still got to take it. And so, you know, you get the best of both worlds for us, you know, being able to play on that level. But um, yeah, I mean, what I really wanted to say was just that like the hoopla of it was so big, you know, like you see March Madness on TV, but like you can't imagine it until you're on the ground. You know what I mean? You can't imagine it until you see the millions of people that come to to a city to watch 18 to 22 year olds play. You see that the court is elevated now. You know, there's a lot of small details that you kind of look at and say on TV, you can't really grasp the immensity of what it is. So I think that, and I know we'll definitely get into it, but the immensity of that event for that whole week for me was was what actually got the wheels turning for me to think about like, Let me step back and like, what is the NCAA really doing for me? You know, what is it doing for us athletes? Like, that's where the wheel started to turn. Mm -hmm. But so I really, I'm like appreciative because I got to experience that as an athlete. But it also gave me, I think, the questions that I think fueled like the next few years of my life.
0: That is awesome, man, and happy to hear it. I think like to take to take something that big and that important in your life, and not just use it for that single moment, um, but then to utilize it for something com- not completely different, but in a completely different area of your life. I think that is how you get the most out of life, right? Like you take those huge moments, and it's not just it's not just that moment. It's not just I won a national championship on the same floor that Louisville did in the same year, and and you know that it's I did that, and then. I was able to take that information and utilize it somewhere else so that I could do something like the coin flip. Um, one more question about that. Uh, what did, how, how did you handle it? Um, you know, you're, how old are you at that time? Like, what are you doing? How were you able to handle, you know, being on the court that, you know, the, the Hawks play on and, and being in this area and being in this stadium that holds, I don't know, 30, 40,000 people and it being packed most nights. Like how did you handle that intensity and immensity of the moment? and keep yourself at bay to make sure like okay let's let's not get too far over our skis here.
1: Yeah that's a good question. You know I think thank you. Yeah (laughs) doing a good job here Mike. I think that if you ask my teammates at the time, they'd say I'm um I was someone who was pretty level headed, you know, like I could always get myself amped up for a game but I wasn't going to be the one like jumping up and down in the crowd and you know beating my chest. Like my confidence came from just being really even even keel never, never too high, never too down. So I think what really helped was definitely having days before where we could like practice in the space. And you got to get used to, you know, the depth of field when you're shooting, because typically, like in the Amherst gyms, we don't have seats behind the basket, you know, but if you're in an arena, it's actually and you know, you watch TV all the time, you watch these guys shoot, but it adds another layer of complexity being able having to shoot with fans behind the basket and more fans behind them, you know, so I think what the way I handled it was just trying to treat everything like another practice. you know what I mean I think if you you're too starry eyed the whole time then you'll you'll kind of lose yourself in the moment. but I think that you know one being even killed, two i think being I was a junior at that point I think i was twenty twenty years old I was a junior at that point, so like you know there were freshmen on the team who I think were more giddy than us, even though we all were but you know and that's natural, I think just having at that point, that was my third uh, NCAA tournament with Amherst at the time, you know? So yeah, it's a different kind of medium that we're playing in, but I think I naturally looked at the bigger picture. Like I had earlier exits the last two years. So for me, it was like, as great as this is, I want to come back to Amherst with a win. So yeah, we had great leadership on the team as well, but I think uh, it was just time, space, more practices, and just trying to remember the the bigger picture, which I think is like a lesson for me now you know what i mean like no matter how things even if things feel too big for the moment it's ultimately small in the grand scheme of things like there's remember the bigger picture. Like, what's the saying? Like, don't get, don't lose sight of the forest by looking at the trees. You know, yes, there's a bigger too, picture. That's Too that's close to the best. forest
0: to see the yeah. trees. I, I say that one, that's one of my favorites. I bring that one up all the time because there's so many opportunities that that stuff happens where you're, you're, you're thinking, you're thinking, but really like, Hey man, take a step back. Like you're in this entire forest. Like there's a tree right there. All you have to do is Definitely. reach out and touch it. Um, but so, so a couple more points. I know I said one more question, but I lied because you kept <laughs> no, talking, I do, so I I do thought, that all the time. You're good. You, you, you brought up some more interesting points. So experience you know you brought it up this was your third time in so you're a little bit older and that might be an an extra help to make sure that yeah you're starry this is a situation you've never been in but you've been to an NCAA tournament you know what that one and done feeling is like and you've been through that so being able to help your team being able to help lead I know you you've made it seem like you are you were not one of the captains but you were clearly one of the upperclassmen helping lead this team especially those freshmen and then you, you said, you know, not to get too starry-eyed, but how did you enjoy that situation? Not everybody makes it to one final four. Not everyone makes it to the final four where the, you know, the, the the world will then be watching. Like how did you make sure that not only you didn't get too starry-eyed, but at the same time you were still taking advantage because these opportunities don't come along very often and at best you have one more chance to do this.
1: Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. There was we had a photographer come with us on the the trip down and he was with us the whole way through the NCAA tournament and I remember being on the buses with him like I would just sit with him you know for a few bus rides and be like hey what did you capture like let me take take a look at some of those pictures and I think that you know he had a different vantage point that he was actually new at the time like he had started at Amherst maybe like that semester, right? And so you know typically traveling with us you have coaches, you have the the trainer, you have us the players and you know parents would come down to watch the game. But, you know, different than the other two NCAA tournaments previously for me, we had this guy. And I I remember just always knowing where he was just because he was being so perceptive about the whole experience. And there was something about his presence that I think for me allowed me to really understand, like, how special it was, you know. And so uh, amidst, like, you know, conversations with my family, uh, like that week, you know, them saying, hey, enjoy it, enjoy it, enjoy it. Uh, Make sure that you, like, live in the moment uh my friends too kind of sending me that love and i specifically remember this photographer too because you know i think a job like that where you you can't really enjoy it because you have to make sure you have to come back with the photos like i was able to in these small moments between uh going to events, going to the venue back and forth between practice just like sitting with him and like asking questions and asking to look at the camera and it was like small ways that i could just grasp like maybe he got a picture of my teammates that I didn't see at the time. You know what I mean? So, uh, those are a few ways, just like conversations with family and friends throughout that week, but also just being able to kind of like understand the vantage point that like everyone had the coaches, the assistants, Mm -hmm. the trainer and him specifically. It was, it was super cool.
0: That is awesome, man. Yeah. And again, it's just such a big moment and and it's affected your life significantly as we, uh, we stated and we're going to get into in a minute. Um, it would be a shame, right, if you weren't able to at least enjoy it in certain situations because, you know, Definitely. obviously I speak with a lot of Olympic athletes and that's always one thing I ask them is, you know, not everybody gets to go to Olympic Games, man. I, like, how did you at least enjoy outside of the competition, outside of, you know, getting ready and training? Like, how did you enjoy the experience? Because it is it is a once-in-a-lifetime experience for most people, um, no, no, I take that back. It's a once-in-a-lifetime experience for a very limited number of people, and then an even <laughs> smaller true. amount of people get to go back. So the same thing That's with true. you, you know, getting to go to, um, you know, just this, this very specific NCAA tournament too. It just kind of – it just worked out that your team was right. at the right moment, at the right time, and you guys were able to take advantage of this whole new opportunity that probably won't come around again for another 25 years as of when, right. you know, when you guys did it. So it's just such a cool opportunity, and I'm glad you got to not just – be there experience it and have it impact your life in many ways but also get to enjoy the heck out of it because I mean man like you gotta enjoy it while you're there right that is just the coolest thing
1: we used to say uh it's a good year to be good like you know we, we started <laughs> we started practicing and be like hey this is a good year to be good you know um and so that was kind of like uh, a thing we would say you know we'd also say a coach had like a, a saying which was just respect the mission, you know, like Mm -hmm. he said it all year, like respect the mission. And we had t-shirts made for the the championship game and on the back was respect the mission. And it was, it was as much as we might have fun in practices and in games, like, like I said before, there's a bigger picture. And so respecting the mission of wanting to be national champs meant, you know, taking care of everything you had to, you know, in and out of the classroom, uh, especially off the court. Um, But I think, you know, having those subtle reminders where you could have fun and say, Hey, it's a good year to be good. Hey, respect the mission, you know, and it's the team saying it's not just one person saying mm-hmm. it. it's like the team galvanizing around these messages. Uh, it makes you understand like what you're doing, you know? And I think that, you know, being in it, you know, it goes so fast too. you know, like I, I blink now and I'm seven, I'm seven yeah. years removed from that moment. It goes really fast. But I think when you have like, when it's not just like your coach saying something like the captain saying something or the upperclassmen, when everybody's saying it, it creates like momentum shift that I think everybody feels. And I, I think we knew that if we just handled business and just like, just played like ourselves, you know, that we would really enjoy the moment. But that team really had, like, good chemistry. So everything off the court in Atlanta, like Waffle House, everything we were able to to really enjoy, you know, so. I love it, man. A little Waffle House
0: job. If Waffle House is interested, you're more than welcome to sponsor David or myself, uh, just just to get that out there. Um, So winning the national championship, thank you so much for going into that, man. I think it's awesome. Unfortunately, you didn't have the same opportunity in 2014, but as you said, 2013 was a good year to be good, man. So let's, we'll roll with that. As you said, you've been able to take those experiences, a lot of the things that you've learned to move them forward into what you're doing now before you started the coin flip, or at least before I found any information on the coin flip being started before September of 2018 ish. It looks like you had kind of a, let's call it a pit stop. For lack of a better term, <laughs> we
1: can call it over that.
0: at a company, um, and you did a lot of stuff during this pit stop. It seems like you yeah. were the only crew person there uh, after after reading some of the things you were able to do. And uh, it was with the company Endeavor. So I looked up Endeavor, and it turns out not the Endeavor that I know. It's the other Endeavor because there is an Endeavor that does a lot with sports marketing and, right. and in that world. And I just want to learn like, what what was that time like. And you know, coming out of school, coming out of sports, like what was that transition period from? All right, I'm not doing sports anymore. Now I'm going to be in the education sector doing x y and z so explain what you were doing if you don't mind and, and what that transition period was like
1: yeah i think if i started by answer, answering that question directly i'd be skipping the phase right, of perfect. my life yeah. that yeah, 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 yeah i gotta yeah. i gotta start
0: go, go to where you were you're good
1: yeah so i think even before i got to endeavor um and I had a great three years at Endeavor, and I can explain a lot more about what I was doing. But even before I got there, you know, my transition was, I think, really unique and special at the same time. So kind of connecting the dots in between that national championship and Endeavor, everything I said I felt in Atlanta, where I was like, man, this is great to be here. But also, mm-hmm. man, you know, that this is such an immense event. To experience, you know, the question I really had was like, man, what happens years down the road when all this buzz is no longer following us? You know, like all those players that we were connecting with, I was really thinking about like, man, this is such a—it's gonna go fast, you know. Like, what happens years down the road? And so those, those questions, honestly, you know, I came back to Amherst and I was like, I was sitting with those questions. You know, I was a national champion, but I was sitting with kind of the thoughts of, you know what is everybody's experience with the NCAA like? You know, it's obviously not equal, but what does that mean for us as individuals in society? And so I actually wrote a senior thesis on the economics of the NCAA and how it affected student-athletes for future outcomes, you know? Uh-oh. Like, yeah, you know, Uh-oh. it's uh... a... <laughs> I hope the NCAA didn't read that. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing bad about it at all, you know, just really exploring the business side of it. I spent my senior year talking to former athletes, about their experience, what they learned, what they didn't learn, what they feel like they got by being a college athlete, what they wish they would have done in hindsight, and that's where I fell in love with just speaking to athletes. You know, it allowed me to contextualize my own story, and so I like I, I really love doing that. So when I had graduated and you know it was time for me to you know find my own work and transition, um, I didn't really know what I was gonna do. I didn't know what was next for me. Was into a lot of things, and I just—it just happened that I stumbled into the entrepreneurship and startup space. You know, I'd move. I spent actually a year. I went down to Atlanta for a year, worked with uh, Emory University's Business School to help them, you know, launch an accelerator program to work with entrepreneurs. You know, and for me, I was kind of sold on um, just the idea of using entrepreneurship for the benefit of the metropolitan Atlanta area. You know, and uh, I would say in that time you know, before I moved to endeavor the year after, you know, in my own transition, it was tough because as much as I had spent a year doing that thesis, when you are finally in it and you're no longer with your team, that's when you have to come to terms with, you know, who you are. Right. And so if I take it back to my childhood, where sports allowed me to find common ground when I was navigating spaces, I was like now trying to find ground and I didn't have sports to do that the same way I did. So, um, kind of in this year of loving the work, working with entrepreneurs, you know, I, I started to just kind of be like, man, what's missing in my life? You know, like, who am I? Like, what, where am I really going? Though this experience is great. And that's when sports media started to change. This is 2014, 2015, like in the span of 12, 16 months, Derek Jeter launched the Players' Tribune. Then LeBron launched Uninterrupted after he announced in Sports Illustrated that he was going back to Cleveland. And so for a year, while I was going through my own crisis of who am I, I became a fan of these personal stories that were being put out, especially through the player's tribune. And I just remember reading a lot of stories, you know, Kobe passed MJ on all time scoring list. Kobe speaks directly. It was like, man, I love hearing Kobe's voice. You know, um, there's a story that Ray Allen wrote when he retired and it was his letter to his younger self. And it was really personal. And I was like, man, these stories I've never interacted with, you know, my favorite athletes in this way. But at that time, because of how I was feeling, I was like, what if, I was like, my story is not reflected here. There's way more athletes than there are these, these guys that we see on TV. And so I just kind of, I didn't, it wasn't really a flash in the pan moment, but, you know, being around entrepreneurs and going through your own emotional transition and not having a team, I just wanted to be able to tell more stories that weren't being reflected. And if you think back to my thesis, I spent a year talking with athletes and it was like, I really loved that work. So. I kind of had a vision of seeing myself as an entrepreneur there in Atlanta being like, hey, I don't know how to start something, but I want to do it. And so I applied to this company, Endeavor, which is an international organization, and they help entrepreneurs in emerging markets start businesses, scale them, and access capital and mentorship. And so, you know, for three years I was, you know, traveling the countries like South Africa and Indonesia and Brazil and locating some of the some really you know fast growing entrepreneurs to ultimately help them because maybe their markets aren't suited for, you know, venture capital or mentorship. But when I applied, I told them, I said, Hey, look, I've worked with entrepreneurs for a year, but I have this idea. I want to start this thing. It didn't, the Quentrip wasn't a name at the time. It was like, Hey, I just, I have a desire to create a platform where, you know, athletes can learn about life, after the sports before they get there, or we could tell more stories for the 98% of athletes who are not going to be pros. I don't know how to do it, but I want to work at Endeavor to extend the work that I've already done and really learn what it would be like for me to become an entrepreneur. If that is my path, you know, and, uh, I sold it in a way where they were like, Oh, this kid is, this kid is pretty smart. You know, we'll, we'll let him work with us. And that's what, that's what I did at Endeavor for three years. You know, I, I ended up specializing in the education technology space, like you said. I think that part of it was, I think being first generation, my parents always stressed education. And so I've always had, even if it wasn't conscious, I've always had an appreciation for the power of education. Um, I've always had an appreciation for the power of information, for learning and I think Endeavor saw that just in the work that I was doing. So they allowed me to specialize in it and work with companies that were innovating, you know, in, um, in the education technology space, you know, trying to bring, uh, learning in better ways and more tech enabled ways to countries that were, uh, pretty antiquated in the way they kind of delivered education. I mean, education in the U S is like changing a lot, but, you know, overseas and different countries, it looks like a lot of different things and there are a lot of different challenges. So, you know, I was able to do that and work really closely with founders who have great companies and great products and great solutions. But, you know, as great as the work was, I always saw myself from day one as an entrepreneur in residence, you know, I always saw myself as like, Hey, what, what does the client flip look like? Okay. What is this platform? Um, I love education, but how do they pitch their company? How do they, how are they raising money? What questions are they asking in these sessions? What does growth look like? You know, how are they hiring a team? I was, it was the best front seat to get in terms of building something. And that was a training ground for me more or less to just learn how to network, learn how to talk to people who were really impressive all the while protecting my dream of creating a platform that, you know, spoke to the athletes that might not get covered in traditional sports media. Right. And I think, you know, I was super blessed to have that opportunity. I know this is a super long winded answer, but yeah, you know, that the, that's really the stories. I think once I, I had a year, my first year out of school where I felt I'll call it lonely, if you will, because I didn't have my team. I was in a new city. I wanted more camaraderie and companionship that I had. And I think being around entrepreneurs and seeing them own their ideas and seeing my story not reflected in these new platforms that were coming out just gave me, sometimes you got to be like illogical. It just gave me some illogical confidence to say, you know what? Somebody's gonna do this. Like somebody's gonna it's gonna be easy to find out where what happens after athletes no longer play. It's gonna be easy to find out about how athletes are, you know, creating different identities while they're playing. And I think that Endeavor was just a it wasn't even really just a pit stop because I learned a lot from it. You know, I used it as a stepping stone because I had a vision of seeing myself as an entrepreneur. So I used it as a stepping stone to learn a lot work with entrepreneurs directly, you know, ultimately be their global point of contact for, you know, venture capital, for mentorship, for scale into new markets and to do it in the education technology sector was really special for me because, you know, given like where my family comes from and how education changed my mom and my dad's life, it was really cool to help those entrepreneurs grow and scale. Um, But every night I was just dreaming and taking notes and, and waiting for my time
0: that's awesome and that's that's the way a lot of people have to do it right like you it's it's very difficult to just hop into something um with, with zero understanding, with zero mentorship, as you said, with really without that runway also, I'm, you know, I'm hoping, you know, you, you made a little money while you were there and you're like, all right, this is what I'm going to put aside because this company is not going to just jump off the ground in most scenarios. It doesn't do that. So it sounds like you took a lot of, you took advantage of the situation, not only just in like, okay, I just need to make money. So that way, you know, once I have enough, I can get out of here. It's no, I'm going to learn. I'm going to network. I'm going to learn how to talk to, All different types of people. I'm going to learn a lot about VC because one day, hopefully, someone's going to seed me some money, so that way I can let this thing jump off the ground. And you know, it just sounds like you really, yeah. Pit stop. Now learning a little bit more about the story. Pit stop's not the word I would use, but hey, you can't go back on it now. It's out there, right?
1: Yeah, and 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 it's it's really interesting because I think if you if you if you had met me while I was at Endeavor and you asked me, hey, what do you want to do? I think I even if I knew, I don't think I was like that clear in telling people that. coin flip is my future you know because i was still as as confident as i was in that idea and that being what i wanted to do i was still exploring as well like i still love venture i still love startups i still love the founders that i was working with and you know it wasn't really like a clean break either where i was like all right now i'm ready to go start the coin flip like there were small steps that i took from buying the domain to putting out the first stories the sourcing content while i was still working like nights and weekends just figuring out how to craft a narrative, how to build relationships with people to get them to trust you to publish their story on your, on your platform. And I think it was cool with Endeavor because I had a colleague who, who had a revenue generating business and he was coming to work. He had a, it's actually, it was called market snacks. It was a daily financial newsletter, you know, that kind of uh, gave you the top stories in you know markets and finance, and he distilled it in a really you know digestible way. And he was monetizing that while he was working. Uh, shout out to Nick Martel. Shout and, out Nick. And uh, you know I was able to come into work every day, having read the newsletter, knowing that Nick was working on it and growing it for years. And it gave me a lot of. It was cool. It gave me a lot of confidence to be like hey, you can take small steps into this. This is somebody who, who came in with the idea. He grew it at Endeavor. And you know the company got bought by Robinhood now, so it's now Robinhood Snacks, and they're doing pretty well. But I think for me, Endeavor was, yeah, it was calculated in a way because I saw a lot of people there who were like, very proactive and entrepreneurial, and you're working with entrepreneurs at the same time. So I might have been more raw when I came there, but I think that um, yeah. It allowed me to like take really small steps at the time. There was nothing that I had to really, I didn't have to hedge my bets in a really great way. I took three years of just kind of sitting on the idea and then eventually learning what content creation looked like. Um, and just doing it and learning as I went. So. And th- and that makes
0: sense and, and the motivation, right? And the motivation and the inspiration and looking around and seeing, as you said, the the people that work there that were entrepreneurs and and you know, while they're at home at night, you know they're working. So you can kinda you know, that's one thing about the entrepreneurial island is you feel very alone in most situations, but kind of knowing other people around you, you know, af- after the nine to five is over and they're at home, they're working, it kind of gives you that motivation to do so as well.
1: For sure, for sure. And um, You know, you said something earlier that it kind of, you were talking about, you know, learning that, yeah, it wasn't just a pit stop. And I I remember being at Endeavor, maybe a year and a half in and realizing that I was like, you know, I'm not somebody who could, you know, if the flip side is, oh, I just have to work here to like make money. I'm just going to sell my soul until I have enough money to go do this. I can't do that. Like Endeavor would never have been just a place for me to like, to build my pockets until I could go. Like I had to, I, that's who I am. I'm somebody I have to be in an environment. That's like challenging for me where through the direct influence or through osmosis, there are people there that are pushing me. Like that's, that's going to be who I am for the rest of my life. And it comes from sports. You know, like, I mean the, the, the more context around Amherst is like Amherst, I mean, I was probably a division three player through and through. If I went D1, I probably would have been a walk on if I had the right situation. But, you know, Amherst for me was challenging athletically and academically. Like every time I stepped on the court, even freshman year, I I felt like, man, if I don't bring my A game right now, or even the classroom more so, if I don't bring my A game, like it's curtains for me, you know? And so I think because I was able to, have to do that on a day in and day out basis and i was able to win you know i was able to win a national championship and graduate with honors like i understood what having that environment meant for me so i think subconsciously i know now that endeavor was so much about like being pushed it was so much about hey if i'm working with entrepreneurs who are raising money and their series a series b series c that's gonna motive that's gonna push me. i want to do right by them you know if i have nick martell publishing a daily newsletter, monetizing that and working that endeavor, doing the same work that I'm doing, man, I want to, I could be doing more, you know? And I think that, um, that, that comes from sports as well. You know, you're only going to get better if you put yourself around people who are, are better than you. And that's, that's as important to my journey as the idea itself or the story and where the story got me.
0: I love it, man. That is, that is so it's, it's fantastic how you've been able to take all these stepping stones, um, and build them to where you're going. And, and I'm assuming those stepping stones are going to continue to go up. And, and again, not just be there, but take advantage of it. Utilize it in multiple different ways, like being at Endeavor, seeing the other people around you, but also working with those entrepreneurs, helping the people get the, the, the money and saying, well, wait a second here. I, I have to do well by them, but also there's money out there for me. Being able to see that there's money out there for all these different types of companies means that there's something out there. There's someone out there that'll say, you know what, David, I really like your idea there are 98% or 99 point whatever percent of athletes that won't go pro and they're going to need to do something afterwards. And the ones that do go pro are still going to need to do something afterwards. There's very few that just, you know, there's, there's how many sideline reporters and how many analysts there's really not that many, right? Like yeah. there's, so there's only yeah. so many that can get into TV afterwards. So just taking all these opportunities and really running with them um, and leading into the going flip, I think is fantastic. So what was that? What was the transition like? So we know the transition from playing basketball, to not playing basketball and, and really what you were doing and manifesting the dream and the destiny of sticking into sports and getting back into it, you know, your thesis back, you know, tying all these knots together. What was that transition like finally saying, you know what? Awesome endeavor. I th- I think you gave me enough that now I can go and do this and now I'm going to start this and, and, and just run with it until until I can't anymore.
1: Yeah, it was it was tough. Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that. Oh, now that I have solid ground, I love what I'm doing. Yeah. That it was it was easy. And, I, and based on what I just said, it is it never easy? Be...
0: Is it already easy now, man? Because you yeah, No, no, do no, no, no. I was <laughs> no, gonna say not, shit, not at man. All. You're not at killing it. Not, not
1: even two not years not, in. Good for you. Not at all. Not at all. Um, but it's it's supposed to be hard. And I think when I transitioned, looking back, I was probably I was probably in terms of like my persona as an entrepreneur. I probably could have used more time, but you're never going to be as ready as you think you are. And that transition from kind of ideating about it and kind of learning how to create content while that endeavor to really doing it. I think it took me, and I'm a little bit more than a year into it now, I think it took me a few months to really kind of understand that this is my focus. This is what a coin flip piece of content looks like. Here's where I'm going right now. Here's my business model right now. You know, I think in this of life after sports or focusing on the transition you know there's natural avenues to do you know recruiting for companies um, to do content marketing for companies who might like who might like and love athletes extending your model that way but being an entrepreneur takes so much focus and you really have to do one thing really well before you expand and so I think there was a lot of natural excitement that had been bubbling up for me since my Atlanta days you know and I think the first few months were were great, but they're also unfocused in a lot of ways, and I wasn't really sticking to my core. So, um, the transition itself, I think you, I think you have to go through that. I think everybody has to like bump their head a little bit. But I think last year was a really good year for me because I was able to pilot a lot of things. You know, I went from, if you zoom out and look at the forest, right? Like, I really went from you know, kind of doing calls in my in my apartment, you know, with former division three athletes, because that's where my, my, my network was, to speaking to athletes at an Olympic level, NBA, NFL, every college level, and doing so across 30 different schools now and working with them and representing them at, on the site. And so, you know, once I really got my focus, I was able to do a lot of different things, right? Like I expanded from um, Typical editorial. We had a campus ambassador program, so I actually worked with athletes at ten different schools last year to kind of extend my reach as a pilot, and that was that worked really well. I'm going to bring that back later this year. And then we launched video at the end of last year as a test to kind of say, how do we extend the format through which we're really creating this media? And so uh, I think there's natural ups and downs with being an entrepreneur. I think it wasn't seamless for me because. I want it to be everything under the sun. I think when I first, when I first started in terms of providing services and creating content, but right now my focus is really on creating a, a a really great sports media company, doing it uh, across different, different formats, but creating a really great sports media company that highlights the unseen side of athletes and gives the 98% of athletes that don't go pro the platform to redefine themselves, to be seen in new ways. And, you know, that's that's really my focus now. We're doing that across editorial and video, and I'm super excited. And uh, I know you're going to love some of the things we have coming now just because you connected me with some folks. So I think, you know, the next few months will be really good on the video side as well.
0: Can you can you tell us some of those things now? Uh, or you want to keep those on the lock for a little bit?
1: Uh, I'll keep those on the lock for now, but right. I, I think uh, uh, in terms of what to expect, you know, we have on the video side, our first features on the Olympic level. So uh, you might know who this is, but the first Olympian to medal in the summer and winter games. You know, we had a, we, we did great work with her from uh, another Olympic hopeful right now who has a great story. Um professional NFL team, doing some work with them, and a few former NBA players who I've been speaking with and being able to kind of create uh, interview, maybe some episodic content, you know, we'll we'll see. But there's a lot of exciting stuff that uh, I'm working on now that I think will give me some more momentum. But at the, the really the goal and the mission of it, and I think really what I got, I got to start, it's not just to just tell these people stories and to create content for them. You know, it's to help athletes learn about life after sports before they get there. And the biggest challenge that athletes have is that transition, you know, and the transition, the challenge of it isn't only when you're forced to think about who you are and you're no longer getting a check from being an athlete or you're no longer a college athlete. You know, it starts way before that. The time to really ask yourself who you are and make moves in that direction starts way before you're me in Atlanta, you know, look at yourself in the mirror being like, where's my team? Who am I? Right. And so a lot of it is being able to help athletes understand what they don't know. You don't know what you don't know. Right. And so if you're super into your sport and, you know, rightfully, you're rightfully so you're dedicating yourself to your sport and your teammates and your coaches, you might not know that there's an athlete who's doing the same thing, but has also make, they're also making relationships off of the internship that they did, you know, and how are they doing that? How, what did that lead them to, you know, or, and this is, you know, because we talked about it when we first met. You know, if you're Shane Battier and you're a two-time NBA champion, right? And he's kind of been in the shadows since he retired in in two, 2014. But you know, what is that transition like? How do you go from playing with LeBron and being at the top to having to figure out who you are? And how does he, how do I use his story to help athletes understand where they can go in the right direction? And so we did a two-part a two-part video thing with Shane, and you know, I'm super proud of that. But you know a lot of it is some of it will be advice but a lot of it is telling more stories so athletes can begin to see themselves in those stories right i think the reason why sports sports in general is always going to be a very popular industry and it has very loyal fan bases is because in a lot of ways sports is like it's like mythology sometimes you know like these superheroes who are telling through the arcs of their career, the arcs of winning and losing games or having a great season, they're almost like, you know, mythological, like, characters, like, carrying their franchises and carrying their cities, and people see themselves in athletes, you know, as, you know, R.I.P. Kobe, people see themselves in that work ethic, and I think if you don't see it, you're not going to be able to envision yourself there. Mm-hmm. And so as easy as it is to see an athlete do really well on the court, as easy as it is to see Giannis go from a skinny kid to an MVP. I want to make it as easy for athletes to see themselves in different fields. I want to make it easy for an athlete to say, oh, Shane was there and now he's doing analytics. Oh, now I can maybe start to ask myself some questions and see how I can get there. Oh, this person also didn't have much on their resume, but now they're in consulting and they were kicking for the NFL, but now they're, you know, doing business deals. How did they get there? Oh, through his story, I can now start to see myself in that realm. And so I think a lot of it is trying to help athletes understand what it is that they don't know. And they don't know it, not to any fault of their own, mm-hmm. but sports yeah. takes up a lot of time. Sports takes up a lot of your identity. And um, the challenge of transitioning is perhaps kind of the biggest challenge an athlete will have to go through. And so I think if the majority of athletes won't make a career out of sports, then it only seems right that a platform represents that majority of people mm-hmm. who are doing, are going to do amazing things. And I think that's where I come in. You know, that's why I called it the coin flip. There's two sides. Uh, take a chance on exploring that other side. You know, there's another side to the athletes, another side to sports, there's another side to your career. And I think if I can get athletes to tap into that, then, you know, I wanna create that new norm where, you know, it's 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 not a surprise to see an athlete doing uh you know different things i'll just i'll end on this story uh oh, but, oh wait are we are you we're gonna oh, end? no 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 just this The. Just oh this, i was gonna say this, like, this, like <laughs> I, I know
0: we're only scheduled to five but if you have some time like no, I, no, no, I, no, I have no, a lot I, I more just, questions man I, I know i, I know i right, talk a good, lot but you're uh, good you're good you're good go, go, go. tell uh, me the story. just this I little hear.
1: segment um because in, in terms of you know i want to make it you know i want to make it um a lot easier to find these different stories you know a few years ago it was Justin Tuck? Who played for the the New York Giants? You know he had retired. He, uh, <laughs> I see you with the New York Giants sweatshirt on. He had retired. He, I think he went to. I think he went, went to, to Oakland. Yeah, he also went to Wharton. He went to. Oh, Wharton. oh,
0: yeah, that 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 part too. Yeah,
1: he went to he went to Wharton, got his degree. Then he was doing like wealth management for J.P. Morgan, right? And then because people know I love this space of athletes and whatnot everyone was sending me the, the the article and they were like, oh, you would love this. Look how great this is. Oh my God, this is amazing. And I'm, as amazing as it is, I think news like that shouldn't be a shock anymore. Like I don't want it to be such a big deal that an athlete is taking steps to advance his career. You know, like it shouldn't be this thing where it's like, man, this is crazy. Like more athletes should do that. And it's like, the reality is yes, but also athletes are doing it. It's just that they're they don't get covered anymore, you know? And they what just they- weren't
0: Justin Tuck, right? They just weren't two time <laughs> Super Bowl champions. Like he's <laughs> right. a rare breed to come across. So it's not surprising, you know, it's it's not surprising that his story is then amplified significantly because he played in one he played in the biggest sport in the country, in the biggest media market in the country, and he went to For one sure. of the most famous business schools in the in the country, possibly sure. the world. Um, you know, it makes sense that his his story is gonna be amplified, but you're completely right. There's so many athletes that just stop being athletes and start doing other things that they, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy there's someone like yourself to be able to amplify their stories too.
1: Yeah. And, um, it's, it's always refreshing to find those stories, but then there's the other side of me that kicks in being like, man, this shouldn't be a big deal. Like this should, it should be celebrated, obviously, but, it's a big deal because we don't see this enough. And it's a big deal because we're not telling these stories. It's and it's a big deal because we have to wait for somebody of the profile of Justin Tuck to do something. But, you know, if we could tell more stories of athletes doing great things, then, it'll become the norm, right? I think right. That, and that's that's really kind of what I'm, I'm trying to focus on and trying to set out to do.
0: I love it, man. And you know, my favorite thing about this show is that I get to listen to people who are super passionate about something uh, <laughs> in the world of sports. So it is yeah. awesome just getting to hear you talk about this company that you've been building and are going to continue to build and and really just continue to crush the space that you're in because there's really no one else doing what you're doing and I love it. I mean, I read your Andre Godal article that came yeah. out a little while ago. I really, yeah. really enjoyed that. Like it's just cool to see because I didn't see that anywhere else. I didn't yeah. see anywhere else that he was like, you know, I knew he wasn't playing because for whatever reason he thought the grizzly were gonna suck. Jokes on yeah. him. They're they're gonna make the playoffs most likely. But, you know, it's just one of those things that it's just crazy that, you know, he had the wherewithal and the foresight to say, okay, well if I'm not gonna play basketball and we're all copacetic on that, rather than just work out, like you put in the article, rather than just do what all the other athletes do and post thirst traps. I think you called them if I'm not mistaken. Maybe those are my (laughs) words. I don't know, know. but um, you know, just, just kind of take advantage of it and and learn. And, you know, another, another uh, athlete I remember again, it was in football, uh, Patrick Willis, after he retired, like kind of abruptly from the San Francisco 49ers after only playing eight or nine years, granted it was linebacker. So it's, it's a heavy eight or nine years. He, he then went and worked in Silicon Valley. He started working for yeah. startups just to learn that space and learn what he's doing. And I mean, let's be honest, like he, he played a long time and long enough time in the NFL that he should be fine monetarily, but it's just cool that he's like, all right, well, like I'm 30 years old. Like you have another 60 years to live, man. Like go That's take right. advantage of it. Go find some things to do. You, you were given this incredible gift to play football. And now you have this generational wealth, take advantage of it, move forward and do something with it. And I really like the opportunities that you're bringing and you're saying, you know, it's, it's cool. You want to share the stories. You want to do that because that part's very important, but you want to make sure that there's some sort of advice. There's some sort of way that an athlete can learn from these stories because all stories are great, right? Like we'll listen to stories all day, but if there's a, Teaching moment, if there's a learning moment within it, that's going to help you just kind of push beyond all the clutter and get people to actually say, like, I want to read the coin flip newsletter that comes out on Sundays, just so everybody knows, and you can subscribe. I'm sure I'll have links to everything in the show notes. I want yeah. to do that because there are incredible stories that I personally can learn from. I was an athlete. I, I was an athlete. I had a kid. I played JV baseball in high school, right? But baseball yeah. is my favorite thing in the world. So this is spring training. I'm watching everything. I'm trying to do everything I can. But at the same time, and understanding, like, you have to just keep learning through other people's stories. Because as you said, like people don't know what they don't know, but if they can see this story about, you know, uh, Lauren Williams, I'm sorry to name drop, but I know her but I <laughs> it's first, be- first female athlete to medal at both the winter and the summer games. And then they can go over here and watch Shane Battier, Duke legend, let's go Duke and, you know, win two championships with the Miami heat there's pieces from both of those stories that people can learn from. They're not going to learn everything they need from Lauren. They're not going to learn everything they need from Shane, but the more opportunities that you bring about and the more stories people can learn from, that's how they're going to kind of complete their puzzle.
1: And you're speaking on something so important because what I find, especially as kind of speaking back to my transition, like leaving Endeavor and then going into this, you know, and they say every entrepreneur, Hey, know your market, know what, you know, know the solutions, know what's going on as there's a lot of, great former athletes who are trying to be the voice on how to transition right a lot of their their business is built around the rhetoric of here's how to transition athletes take these steps and I think that the more people talking about how to transition is great at the same time I think that they only have one experience at the end of the day right like I am you know, if you scroll all the way to the bottom of the claims flip, you'll find my story, which is, you know, I've said it here and I launched with it. But the the point of, I think what I'm trying to do is to create a platform that's of, by, and for athletes because somebody might connect to my story, but chances are you probably won't, you know, and you might connect to Shanes more. You might connect to Ernest Awusu, who's a former NFL linebacker, who's now, you know, crushing it in Silicon Valley. And I think for me, it's about exposure, you know, and I, if we go back to saying you don't know what you don't know, you might be interested in the way Andre Igudala has become such a prominent fixture in the business community. I mean, and I didn't know until I was actually researching for that story. I mean, he is I think, the only active NBA player who sits on the board of a, of a public company. And I was like, I asked double. I was like, LeBron's got to sit on a public company right now. You know, he's invested in a lot, but Iguodala is actually representing, you know, this is an e- e-commerce company out of, uh, out of Africa, um, on their board, you know, and it's, it's, hey, that might inspire you to kind of, you know, move in that direction. You might just be inspired by the stories on how to get your first job, if if that's what it is. But I think for me, I've never wanted to be so prescriptive for athletes to say, this is how you transition, because not all athletes are created equal, not all environments and schools and coaches are, and so you're going to have a different experience coming out of your sport. And so I think it's my responsibility, if I'm going to do this right, to to really give you as many perspectives on what it means to be more than an athlete, what it means to have another side of you and to give you the, the chances to say, with all these stories that I have here, here are more examples for me to really maybe learn about and see exactly which direction I can go in. And that's always been super important for me.
0: Exactly, because again, you're not gonna learn, you, you bring up a great point. You know, uh, I know a few gentlemen that work in the athlete transition space and, and they literally wrote a book but they interviewed like 150 athletes when they did it, right? Like Rob Curley, his episode's a little bit further back and Phil Costa, former um, former offensive lineman for the Dallas Cowboys. They interviewed 100 to 150 Olympic and professional and non-professional athletes just to see how they did it because you're right. You can't take one, one person had an experience that said, "This is what I did, this is how I did it, Bing, bang, boom. Okay, well that's nobody else was doing what you were doing. They weren't yeah. on that specific level that you know, you're one experience, and th- which is good. Like, that's great that they're doing it and I'm all for it, right? But at the same time, understanding that there are so many different ways to go about it and you're completely different than every other person that's done it. Uh, You might have similar experiences, but nothing's going to be exactly the same. Family life, where you're from, um, you know, the sport you played, the schools you went to, the network that you have. You have to understand, yeah, maybe there's a guideline, you know, right? Like, there's a guideline that you can take, but at the same time, there's, there's so many twists and turns and forks in the road, you can't just, like, take it. As, as you know, the gospel and say, all right, well, if I do A, B, C, D, I should be at this point. Why am I not at this point? Well, because your experiences are different. It's just not going to work out like that.
1: Yeah. And I think that what you want an athlete reading this to really understand or the feeling you want to for them to take away is that you want to make the transition less scary. You know, at the end of the day, you want them, you know, and that's, I think, part of my goal, too, if I'm doing this well, is to give you enough perspectives of athletes that have transitioned and transitioned well while also talking about mistakes that people have made for an athlete to say oh because it's been done so many different ways I don't have to hedge my bets that it has to go a certain way I don't have to put so much pressure on myself because the reality is is you know it's going to take you a while to find the same solid ground being comfortable in what it is your second chapter is It's going to be, it's going to take a while to find that same confidence that you had playing your sport. And it's not about actually finding it. It's just about being willing to know that you can take different steps and you can leverage your athletic experience to do so. You can leverage that in a way to put you in the right rooms, to talk to the right people, to, to get people interested in your story. Like these things are assets, right? And it's not that without sports, you're no longer um, anybody of interest. You don't have a superpower. You're not, you know, seen. No, it's, it's an asset now just in a different way, right? So I think that I'm always and you know, when I'm speaking with people, creating content, like I'm naturally interested in the story. That's not somebody telling me what to do. Here's what your audience needs. It's about people explaining just how they got from A to B. If they're, you can tell, if they're great storytellers, then that's how you kind of understand that they're, they're just interested in kind of sharing the information no matter where it lies, as opposed to someone being prescriptive about, you know, what needs to be said, you know, they can really pinpoint different moments on how they felt along their journey. And that's super important to me as well.
0: And yeah, you, you're doing a great job because there were some very specific questions that I didn't need to ask because you answered them just through the stories, which I'm very happy about. Um, one thing that I like to do with this show and and, and yeah. you have inspired me just to create more content because it's something it's super enjoyable for me. I'm a terrible writer, so I'm going to write a book. But <laughs> other than that, I'm, I, I use this medium because I'm a very good I, I can talk a lot. I don't know if that yeah. makes be a good talker, but hey, I, I actually you and me both. I, I listen well in my opinion and I can think of questions and and understand what someone's saying and be able to have that continued conversation. Um, as I said before we got on, I think I've done over 200 you know episodes of, of this right. nature where I just have conversations, real conversations with people and just ask them questions and how they got to where they got to without explicitly asking the question I want to get to. you answered right. it. Um, you know so so the one thing I like to do with this show is rather than just make it story based like you you've been talking about, I also want there to be lessons along the way. I want sure. people to understand that there are so many jobs in sports, whatever the hell that means. You know, uh, you can be an accountant. You can create a media company. You you know, I spoke to another gentleman who makes suits for professional athletes. Like, There's so many things you could do and be in this world that you love so much. Um, what it's like and how you break into it and then the mindset it takes to stay in and continue to grow. So I didn't have to ask you any of those questions. You <laughs> answered all of them for me because so I don't have to worry about all right, David. Well, what was the mindset you just got? It like I don't have to do that, which I really appreciate about your storytelling style. Um, so I really do do thank you for that, and this has been fantastic. I still have a couple more questions if
1: you're yeah. you're willing and able to hang out for another minute. Oh, definitely, definitely. Can I say before we get to the questions? Please, 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 I, please. You know, if the, if there was a question coming from you, which is like, hey, how do you distill, you know, maybe takeaways? I mean, I can share just what I learned talking through other athletes, right? And I think one thing that I always ask every, every person, it's the last question that I ask them, right? And the question is, hey, since you left sports, all right? Or from this point that you timestamped for me up until right now, what's one thing that you learned about yourself that you didn't expect to learn? Like, what's one thing that just has surprised you about your own journey? And a lot of times you'll get people who like, they'll just kind of sit, and you know, I, don't, I haven't thought about that before. But a lot of times that, Reveals how self self aware they are about their journey, and a lot of times I think the answers that like really touch me are when you know people can look back and say, "Man, I didn't I didn't understand how comfortable I would be actually not knowing my future." You know, sometimes you can't predict. You think if you don't know the answer, man, sports is there's always a scoreboard, you always know where you stand, win loss, and not having that is a very scary thing. But I think one thing that I've like come to learn about myself is that. I actually do a better job of uh, dealing with ambiguity, you know? And I think that for any athlete or anybody going through a transition, I think being able to kind of sit in that ambiguity with some level of purpose is super important, right? Because what comes after that is like, oh, what happened was, you know, I might not have known which direction I was going in, but I realized I I could, I just asked my agent a question, he connected me with somebody, or I realized that, you know, if I just start asking questions, eventually I will find, the door or the answer that would lead me to sports marketing or would lead me to, uh, you know, analytics or would lead me to consulting or this startup that I really have, you know, become a part of. And so, um, yeah, to me in terms of, I love asking that question, but, Sometimes the common theme when I ask that question a lot of times is, man, I didn't know how strong I was like in the face of ambiguity. And I think ambiguity is the whole thing about transitions. It's the whole thing about discovering who you are. You're not going to get a clear answer. But a lot of it is that, you know, when people come in contact with ambiguity, I mean, you could sit in it and just kind of like that do anything. But most times even taking a small step can lead somewhere. If not right away, it will, it will lead somewhere. So I, I love hearing former professional athletes say that, as well as former D3, D2 athletes say that, because it, it just shows that as scary as a transition could be, people at their core, they do want to find out who they are. They do want to find out layers of themselves that they they, they have yet to explore. And I think for me personally, I get joy seeing people reflect on it and kind of find out that that's been the, the case. But I would say for anybody listening, it's like learn to exist in ambiguity because like your response to that can ultimately dictate the doors that will open in your life. And I, I think if, if I've observed that from, you know, professional champions, NCAA champions, I think it's just a powerful message for, for a lot of people
0: it's more fun that way too right like, it is I, i'd it be is. bored if i knew yeah, everything right? that was gonna happen <laughs> yeah, like, right? it's way more interesting just kind of like you know wake up to a random email or yeah. get a get a crazy phone call that comes to you. like that happens to me oh i would say like you know every, like two or more, three times a month like some yeah, weird thing sure. just comes my way and i'm just like hell yeah let's do it let's just see what happens but sure. um you make a really good point you, you made a really good point earlier that kind of leads to what you just you know the, the, to tie these two things together you know you talked about how a lot of athletes are worried you know they're never they're never comfortable you know in, in you the, you have to learn to be comfortable in the new thing that you're doing again that comes with the ambiguity and because in most cases these athletes have been doing this since they were like six right yeah. they've been six six to 30 35 in certain situations so however many years 20 something years and now all of a sudden like yeah you can go play pickup basketball but that's about the, like the level of competition you're going to get so it's never going to be the same and and as we were talking about before it's very difficult for every athlete to stay in Sports and sports media, and stay around the gym or be a trainer. So, there's only so many of those jobs to go around. So, being able to, you know, actually step into that ambiguity and just really see what happens and then understand, like, okay, cool. Like, I know I haven't been doing this for a really long time, and it might take me really uh, to get comfortable, like, take me a minute. But at the same time, it's kind of nice to be able to grow into that and really see what happens. I think that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. And I, I probably sound like I'm somebody who was like plotting this journey, you know, for a you, while. You you, you did make it sound like that. Oh, I won't yeah, lie. Yeah. But <laughs> and I, I, as you were speaking, I was like, man, I hope, I hope, I'm sure I sound like somebody who's just like wanted this and kind of made it manifest. But I couldn't have predicted this. You know, I couldn't have predicted any of this journey. Like, I didn't think that. I thought when I turned in my thesis, I would be. It was I would be done with speaking to athletes in any capacity. I thought it was just this, this thing that allowed that I could explore, um, through the department and and really put up. But I remember I'll tell a small story. It's separate, but it's kind of related. You know, the day I graduated, you know, after thinning out my dorm room, there was uh, a janitor, and I was like waiting for my parents to pull up with the car, and he was like, "Man, what's what's next for you?" And I, I didn't have a job at the time, so you know, I was like. I mean, you know, I don't know, you know, I have to go figure that out, but I'm not sure. And he's like, you're in the perfect spot. You know, it's like before that day comes, like, just promise me you're just going to enjoy this moment. Because when you're in that spot, you're more willing to entertain pieces of you that you didn't know. He's like, don't rush to have an answer. Like, if you rush to have an answer, it's like life was going to give you so many answers. And I think in so many ways, that conversation was fleeting. But it's kind of been representative of my journey. Like I I didn't know that the thesis would come back up in a way in Atlanta where it pushed me to have this idea that then pushed me to apply to endeavor that, you know, as much as I wanted this to happen, I didn't always know that it would be the next step. So, um, but it's, it's, it's better than what I, whatever I thought I would be doing at that time, speaking to him, you know, like whatever mm-hmm. options I would have given, I wouldn't have painted this yeah. And I'm so glad that this has been the answer, exactly. you
0: know? Exactly, man. I like that. That's a good story. And it's a great, great way to to tell that. And, and, and really, again, just get people to understand that, like, all right, like you've wanted to do this. As you said, like, this isn't the, it wasn't super specific, right? The like coin flip wasn't this super specific thing that you knew you were going to do after you handed in that paper, but there was something there and like you you're, you're on this way to a destination it's just depending on how you get there right like you could have done so many different things and you could get to a manifestation that is similar but it wouldn't be the same you're just going down a specific path you took a specific route down to sunny jacksonville florida or sunny miami that's a little bit better destination <laughs> sunny san diego there we go um that it's going to take a little while because maybe you want to go through the mountains you know right maybe you want to go through the desert maybe you want to go in these different different avenues that you can take you'll still get there but the experiences along the way will change what that destination is like, I think, which is the most important part. Um, and I just think it's awesome. I also want to throw it back to you for one second. Yeah. That question that you ask everybody, what have yeah. you learned about yourself over the last 15 months running this company? What have you learned about yourself that kind of has surprised you?
1: Man, that's a good question. You know, I was, it's your question, I, 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 I knew, if You're complimenting I <laughs> yourself. I just want you
0: to know that right now. Be a little more humble, man. You're complimenting yourself.
1: I knew it was gonna, I knew it was going to come back around. You know? I'm somebody who. No, sorry to cut you off. To
0: be honest, I do have on <laughs> yeah. my paper a similar question. You just okay. you just worded a lot better. Considering you know you're a writer and everything, so yeah. I just kind of <laughs> took what you did, spun it, right. flipped it back at you. So sorry about that.
1: No, but I think I think since since starting this company, um, I think a lot of I mean it's it's similar with sports where you have you have goals, you have milestones that you want to reach, and I'd be like where I'm at right now has it took a lot longer to get to this point you know what I mean and I think that if you had told me that how long it would take way back when I left Endeavor you know I don't think that maybe I would have been disappointed but I don't even know if I would have taken the jump maybe I said I might need more time so I think what I've learned about myself is how resilient I actually am you know I think I've known that through sports but I don't know if I've I don't know if I've felt this resilient since leaving Amherst, if that makes sense. Like I don't Yeah, absolutely. I think I think in sports, at at in basketball, I know what being down at the half feels like. I know what being the number one team in the country and being, you know, down a few points to an unranked team with two I know what that feels like. I, I I you know, I know the pressure that it puts. I know how to galvanize my team. And in a lot of ways, I think in the real world per se, since I left Amherst, I don't know if I've ever felt this resilient, you know, like like a piece of content does well cool if it doesn't do as well as the last week i'm still coming with more i'm still like i'm plotting on content that's coming out six months from now and i think that part of trying to do anything that you want to mean something to other people requires you to have a lot more vision and foresight than you've had in your life before and so i think for me um it's actually grown like i I don't i probably wasn't as resilient when i first left endeavor i think i was like more emotionally swayed by who was paying attention or who wasn't paying attention or who liked what I was doing or who didn't like what I was doing, but you know I'm still standing, I still have been able to get myself in a lot of different rooms and a lot of different conversations, and I think that it's really cool as a former athlete to feel that same amount of resilience like in another medium, you know what I mean and i and I think um, yeah, sometimes you wonder if you're ever going to get that, but I think I've learned that that I do have it within me to kind of keep pushing this, you know, even though it's still new for me, you know, I'm still, I'm self-taught in everything. I'm self-taught in digital content creation. I'm self-taught in video editing. I'm self-taught in I shoot and shoot, produce direct all the videos that I put on the coin flip and you know, I might edit it with somebody else, but I do have to editing myself. I'm self-taught in that. So as much as I have had this passion, I'm still teaching myself. So, uh, I would say the one part answer is how resilient I am. i would say the other part is how willing I am to like really teach myself, even though I might not have as many, as much experience Mm -hmm. as other digital media professionals, but that's the game you have to play.
0: But yeah, exactly. You have to play that game and, and the resiliency, obviously that comes from being an athlete. But as you said, it's, it's been a while and, and you know, that feeling gets different, especially now it's like, all right, like, Let's let's take a step back, as you said, like it's a basketball game. All right. This is cool and we love it. And a lot of people make a lot of money doing this, but we're in division three. Like I still love it and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's a basketball game. And now it's like, all right, well, this is my livelihood. This is my brand. This is everything that I've worked for. No, Now it's a little bit it's a different level of intensity uh, on at least I mean, not, not like obviously not a physical side and maybe not even a mental side, but th- there's like a different level of intensity that comes with it, knowing that, all right, now there's a lot of money on the line. Now there's a lot of other people on the line and I have to do this. I get to do this, but I have to do this as well. You know, there's so many extra levels and layers to that, which I think is pretty important. And it is, a, it seems like a different, I mean, I've never been the number one team in, in, in the country <laughs> and, and been down at the half or anything like that. So I don't know what that resiliency is like, but. I do understand the resiliency of owning and running a business in certain capacities. And yeah. I could totally understand how those resiliencies, while you need a certain level to get to both of them, they're going to be different and it's just not yeah. going to, you know, it's, it's just different, you know, I would say apples and oranges, but I think fruit can be compared to like carrots and yeah. oranges, right? Like they're yeah. both orange. They're just different vegetables. And fruits. Yeah. And,
1: and, and I think to go a step deeper to what you just said, in terms of why it's, it's similar because you have to kind of, be the one to pump energy into yourself to keep going. but when I'm playing a basketball game, I'm gonna get a possession in a few seconds so I can execute well and try can make and up
0: for mistakes too, bucket right?
1: I can make up for mistakes. I think you know if I'm running the coin flip and I you know not that this has happened but if I really sour a relationship with somebody who who would have turned out to be a great partner or you know turned into great content, you can't exactly make that back on (laughs) tomorrow, you know, like it takes time to really build, it takes time to really get to the end product. Like if some of the projects that I talked to you, you know, talked to you about earlier, like there are whole projects that take planning, scheduling, logistics, execution, proper shooting, like proper editing, like time, you you know, to, to come again, to be resilient requires more patience too, you know? And so, uh, yeah, it is similar, but it also requires you to be more patient because difference in sports, you can't exactly get it back right away, you know? And so I think that's where you have to learn about yourself, just how patient you are, how diligent you're going to have to be and how optimistic you have to be as well, because it, it's you have to sit longer in that that period of what if and okay, let's go and all right, more to do. So
0: yeah, no, that's that's a really great point. Thank you for bringing that up. I do I do really like that. That is awesome, man.
1: Um, so just a couple more
0: questions on the coin flip specifically and kind of what you're doing. So going back to resiliency a little bit, I have here I have a nice little question on my paper here. In media, it's it's not the same as it was ten years ago. It's not the same as it was five years ago. Everything's kind of changed, uh, like especially the publishing model, right? Like you need how how do you make. Mob, money in media well you need advertisers well how do you need advertisers how do you get advertisers clickbait the shit out of everything and i hate that and it's awful or you go a subscription model or you you know or you you go the barstool model where you grow this massive community and then you get brands to pay you boatloads of money because they want to engage with that community so with money being harder to make in the media world what have you done to make sure that it sets you up for success that one of those three, or if there's a different one that I'm not, I'm totally unaware of, how are you looking to really capture one of those opportunities to really make the money that you need to, to a run a business, but also be, you know, like live your life.
1: Yeah. And it's um, it's no secret that, you know, media is in a very different space than it was. And, you know, you, you look anywhere um, and to survive as a media brand and media company, Um, you're going to have to go beyond ads. And so I think with you talk to anybody who's trying to come into the space and really to, to, to build community, it's, it's, it's really how are you extending yourself beyond ads? So for me, you know, while still kind of bootstrapping and growing the audience, you know, ads will be kind of the, the short term play, but also, you know, you want to get into a space. I think video is going to be big for me as well. So I'm trying to grow, to the point where there's a branded content side of things, but also depending on the different format, what we do with video, there could be licensing down the road. But you know, if you're if you're not doing ads, and you know, like you said, either ad supported or subscription supported, then you know, there's companies now that are doing things around events, doing licensing. Um, you know, creating franchises and doing kind of the e-commerce play. I mean, that's not going to stand in the e-commerce play of affiliate marketing and anything like that. But, you know, for me, it's kind of, you know, building a great ad supported business, um, branded content, um, eventually getting into events as well, kind of later down the road. But, you know, right now, that's still our main focus being, you know, super early and still building the foundation.
0: Yeah. And that, and that makes sense. I'm always curious how com- media companies do that. I, I had the opportunity to speak with another gentleman who's running a, a media company. He went the subscription model um, yeah. and, and kind of what he's doing. And so far it's, he's, he's been relatively successful, but he also still has his full-time job. Right. And his wife still works. So like they have m- income coming in from multiple places, but this is the thing he really wants to succeed. So he puts all of his extra time and energy into it. And some of the time I'm sure he's at work, don't tell anybody, but um, you know, it's just one of those things. I'm always curious how that that happens. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things, especially with YouTube monetization is an opportunity. I yeah. think video can absolutely be huge on that front, especially if you have a nice picture of Shane Battier up front and everybody <laughs> wants to watch and kind of see how he did it and what he did. Uh, I think that absolutely can be a huge, huge portion of what you're doing and how you're doing it. So I think that that is fantastic. And in terms of what you've done so far, again, those, these 15 months, it sounds like they've been absolutely crazy and you have so much stuff playing for the next 15 to 24 months it sounds like what have what do you consider because it's always nice to look back and see you know let, let's celebrate successes so what's like one of the biggest wins that you've had so far that you're just like
1: nice all right I yeah got
0: now, now you're not resting on your laurels but like all right sweet i'm happy about that
1: yeah for me i think i think with any entrepreneur starting something creating an idea putting something out there uh you want to continue executing but you also want to make sure that there's people who are still coming to your to your your product or service or whatever it is so I'd say probably maybe even the biggest form of validation or success that I felt early on was just last year you know for three months when I when I did a brand ambassador program so just to go to 10 different schools through athletes who were sourcing content and also promoting it and seeing the coin flip do really well on a local level for me was like a huge win you know and I I'm tried it as a pilot just to teach myself how to extend this brand and really put it in the hands of athletes and their communities. Can you Uh, explain the
0: program? Yeah. Can you explain that program? What exactly that means?
1: Yeah. So I basically worked with brand ambassadors who, you know, to put it simply, they were tasked with helping the coin flip grow its reach. Right. And so each ambassador, um, we had two at, uh, like one school, but for your school, you're responsible with sourcing content either from athletes at your school or from former athletes, kind of bringing them into the coin flip fold so we could create content with them and tell their stories. And they were sharing our newsletter. So helping increase signups with our newsletter and, you know, ultimately kind of bringing people in as contributors, writers, um, or just really increasing signups. So the program itself is just a program where athletes can serve as ambassadors to the coin flip brand and extend the coin flips reach in local communities, right? And that was kind of me. If you kind of studied, you know, digital media companies, you look at Morning Brew, which is just a newsletter, but they have a great, you know, affiliate brand ambassador program. And there's a lot of companies that are doing that as well. I, I wanted to kind of adopt that model and say, hey, how do I scale myself, right? How do I kind of take, if this is a buying for athletes, how do I put this in the hands of, you know, the people who are whose stories I'm trying to reflect. And so that was like a big win for me, you know, for three months, being able to run a pilot successfully and see exactly how the coin flip was able to grow in these local communities and schools. Um, it was just a way for me to say, OK, I'm I'm doing something right. You know, um, there's ways to improve upon it, but it's, it's a great way to understand how to, to scale the coin flip beyond myself. So that'll come back later this year. Um, and then, you know, you, I got smarter about which schools to target, which, you know, alumni bases would really be engaged. So it gave me information to kind of, when I roll it back, when I kind of bring it back in the, in the fall to say, okay, here's the type of schools we're going to go to. Here's the role of the, the ambassador. Here's the touch points that I have with them. Here's what they're responsible for from a, from a metric standpoint in terms of signups or whatever. Um, but that was, a I I think because of, because I saw a lot of community buy-in that way, um, for me, that was a big early win to say, great, the coin flip can exist, you know, beyond me and my content creation, because that's what you any anybody entrepreneur wants to know, you know, at the end of the day. So that's something that was like a, a real, a real highlight for me early on.
0: That's awesome. Man. And then it also leads to the fact that, you know, if if you're getting a lot of traction on a local level that's it's really easy that's where you hold your events right like it's, it's, sure. we're not it's not you know rocket science this isn't brain surgery if you see a lot of people from a certain area and, and you can kind of attach yourself to another event that's going on like an alumni association event or something like that it's always an easy way to then foray into that new
1: new area yeah and i think that it's important um to strike the balance of sticking out what you're good at while also piloting and testing things you know like I'm I'm still learning but I have to pilot and test how to shoot and release a video you know and I think even though the the same video was really great there's so much room to take advantage of that release so that it you know touches on a national level and local level you know and there's there's a, there's, a, there's a there's a formula but there's a way to do that right and so I'm learning as well you know and I think it's as I continue to put out the newsletter and create more content and get more stories in the fold, like I expect to see myself just pilot more things and try different programs, try to bring people into the fold in different ways, because, um, <laughs> you don't know what you don't know, right? There's a lot of, a lot of things that I don't know that I'm still learning. So I have to take my own advice and really, uh, try and learn. So.
0: and con- Yeah. And continue to take your advice to always be learning as well. Um, you don't know what you don't know. So try a bunch of stuff out. Don't throw too, too much money at anything at first, but once you can Definitely. learn a little bit about it and then you can start to fine tune it, refine it, do what you need to do, and then, you know, continue to move forward um, as you are. So I'm excited for that first event. And, you know, Shane Battier, I feel like all you have to do is target people that like Duke on um, <laughs> uh, on Instagram and Facebook. Oh, and I'm sure you'll get a couple, couple views of that video. Uh, that's pretty awesome. So David, this has absolutely been fantastic. The last question I have for you, man, is like, what is the pie in the sky view of CoinFlip? Like, if if you could see it, I'm sure you get asked this question all the time, and it's kind of yeah. a boring one. But I'm always curious because I want to see, especially with your vision from where it started to where it is. I'm curious again. You, you know, we're we're halfway across the country. We're a quarter of a way across the country. You can't take that southern route anymore, right? We're staying up north. We're going through the mountains. What do you want that to look like? And and you know whether it's next year two years 10 years like what is the ultimate goal of what you create this company into
1: yeah a lot of the media companies that inspired me the things that i look at or get inspired by um i love vice like i love what vice does obviously i love what lebron's doing with with uninterrupted um but even media sites like axios being able to get to a point where you know A lot of them have studios like film and production studios where they can license a lot of whether it's short films or their videos to other platforms, whether that be an HBO or Netflix. And so, um, for me, in the future, I actually see the the coin flip being more video than it is actually editorial um, and being able to touch on local and national levels. But I do see because I've had a lot of fun with the video side of things and learning and because that's the way in which people consume media nowadays more so you know when i left school in 2014 you know i do see the coin flip really being a multimedia sports company that has diversified revenue streams but you know i do have a vision of having uh, a studio as part of the the business you know and being able to really crank out great stories that fit within you know, a one minute time frame, 10 minute time frame, and maybe a mini documentary series. So like being able to create those different stories, while we continue to do editorial, while we can, you know, run events in the future, while we can have different things that introduce people into, you know, what we're doing. But I'd say, uh, yeah, the the media brands that I think have scaled really well, and that I love, and that I come back to time and time again, have been able to really um, figure out a great way to tell visual stories and to do it in a way where they can bring in other partners, definitely on the branded content side, but also on the licensing side. And I think that's, that's a vision for me, whether that's the yeah. end of this year or five years from now, I think I would be blessed to, to be in that position. And so.
0: hey man, I think you're, you're clearly on the right, the right direction you're going down the right path and i think you know again with with the stories with some of the athletes that you're already starting to get um you know i can only imagine what the future is going to be like so i'm very excited and then i guess i I lied so here's another question (laughs) you brought up multiple media companies how much how much is there how much is it consumption and paying attention to do what they're doing versus making sure you're doing your own thing, but also kind of making sure you're creating all that content because I could feel like it's it's research, right? It's I'm doing research too. Yeah, I'm like you know, don't worry. Like how much, how much, how do you have to kind of time that you brought up? I don't even know Morning Brew, Axios, Vice. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. we talked about I talked about Barstool. I don't know if you did, but you know, there's so many media companies, so many things going on. How do you make sure that you're not trying everything and you're really sticking, sticking to yourself, but also not just consuming content all day?
1: That's really important because I think a lot of me being new self-taught in this space requires me to 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 learn and see what other folks are doing and i'm somebody who's you know i'm easily inspired you know i'm inspired by the stories of media companies and how they've grown how they diversify diversified beyond ads and i think a lot of it is just to equip myself with what's going on you know i think in the future whether you're talking to former partners, employees, or even investors, you have to make sure you understand what's going on. I think part of the, that's one angle for me is just understanding the landscape of how media companies are operating. Um, Some of it is ideas and saying, hey, if I don't know what I don't know, what are ways in which I could be doing better? What are ways in which I could be extending my reach? What are things, there's a lot of ideas I have that are like just future ideas. It's like, hey, maybe a year from now, we can run this type of campaign. Um, But I also, why?
0: yeah why why are certain things a year from now is it money is it is it manpower i'm just curious sorry Uh, to cut off your thought because it was a really good one but yeah no
1: no worries resources audience i think scale i think there's a, a time and place to do everything right and so i think uh You know, studying the point at which different companies launched different campaigns, or did different activations with different brands, or added a different vertical to what they were already doing. I think, like I said, I spent a few months maybe not being as focused as I should have been. So, I think a lot of it is learning. A lot of it is giving myself ideas to also know the type of options I might have to capitalize on the audience. Um, But I think that in terms of the question of being like, how do you make sure you don't take away from what you're doing? I think I'm really rooted now in what I'm doing. I think. To be, you have to be you have to be kind of bold to get into media now you know but you also have to understand you have to have a lot of patience and you have to play the long game with building your audience um you know if you want to exist on the camp of don't get in it because google and facebook are going to eat up everything and there's no money for you great but if you want to get into the side of information is always going to exist and media in in any format is always going to exist how do you adapt and how do you create different avenues for people to interact with your mission, come in contact with your content. I think that's the side that I, I love playing on. So a lot of it is I, I read and I, I always kind of know what's going on, but I think a lot of it is, you know, I'm still very rooted in what I'm doing now. So a lot of it is equipping myself with information that I might be able to use later down the road.
0: And then how long do you wait to see if a, if an initiative works and makes sense like the college program that you did you yeah. know it, you, you said you could see something so we just had to refine it retune it and, and you know move forward in a different different way different people different area you know that kind of thing what are some things that maybe you tried out that you tried out for a little while and again you've only been at this for 15 16 months at this point so I don't even know what a little while is but have, have there has there been anything where you're like oh this is going to be great and then you try it and you're like actually this kind of sucks and like like how long do you wait until you're just like all right let, let's scrap that idea move on to something else?
1: Yeah, I mean, actually, to your point around maybe reading too much and getting influenced too much, I mean, my newsletter has had a few different formats, you know, I think right now, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty aligned with giving you, you know, the content, the stories, the videos, and sometimes, you know, we do a deep dive on stats and numbers that define an athlete's life after sports, right? So here's actually, you know, their their box score, if you will. Um, But there are times where I piloted different things with the newsletter where um, I was only doing that. I was only doing the box score type or, you know, I was only, you know, telling one type of story, you know, the, the, how to find the first job. Right. And, you know, a lot of it, I think was super niche. I think a lot of it, you know, you kind of learn exactly what works and what doesn't work, but, um, you know, that was when I had to kind of say, okay, even though these models might exist somewhere else, and even the bucks for idea was pretty cool for me. I'm not doing enough for myself and my content, I'm not doing justice to the work that I'm doing. So that was an example where I kind of, I launched a newsletter. Um, I took a pause on it. I kind of retooled, rethought about how exactly that I wanted to execute on it based on the content I was putting out and just kind of stuck to my guns. I would say in terms of bets, I mean, the the real best that I've taken, I have been the campus ambassador program, uh, obviously relaunching the newsletter and then the video vertical last year. Right. And just kind of having some type of video presence and learning exactly how to execute on that. You know, the video, the video kind of pilot, if you will, has worked, you know, but it can still be a lot better. It can still be a lot better in quality and consistency, frequency, all those things. Right. And in the the way we release it. So, um, I mean, I'm still learning from that. If I stopped right now, it'd be a failure because I didn't continue. But, um, I think those are areas that I also look at other companies for, and I kind of say, Hey, how do you, you know, if I shoot something, I might shoot 40 minutes of footage. Right. And I might put out, you know, 10 between two parts, but there's other bits and things that you can use on social media that you can use, you know, within text and an article, things like that. And so, um, I'm learning, you know, I don't, I, I, it's not like I have the execution down perfectly for that, but that's something where I'm still having observed what that was like for a few months. You know, I'm able to kind of sit back now and say, okay, here's how we do it better. Here's how we capitalize more on the visual content and how we use it to our advantage. So um, yeah, I'd say those are a few examples of kind of what I've been trying and testing and learning.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, it's always important because again, you do have to test, especially this young and and, and really learning where you're going. And again, we know where you're going and how you might be able to get there, but there's so many different opportunities. There's so many different things. New stuff's going to pop up tomorrow, and the day after that, and the day after that, for you to for take sure. advantage of, and and how to take advantage of it, and if it makes sense to take advantage. Um, and you know, obviously, I'm not trying to build a media company here. You know, if I could get paid just enough money to do this, and, and yeah. for you know, f- 25 hours a day, eight days a week, I'd be the happiest person on earth. Um, but, you know, what, what I've learned is, you know, by, by listening to other people who are content creators and, and the way they go about it is, there's enough people on planet Earth that are enough like you that all you have to oh, do oh, yeah. is put out stuff that you like. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. It, it can be super niche. It can be super different and a little out there, but you know all you have to do is put stuff out there that you like and you know you get 100,000 people especially in the situation i'm in 100,000 people like you're 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 good man like you can monetize 100,000 people for the rest of your life um as long as you're giving them the value that they deserve and and more you can make money off doing that and be relatively happy and then let that audience grow so that's like what i'm doing here I promise you the only part that's getting edited is the part that you got up to get your laptop <laughs> charger. I want to leave everything in I want people to hear the whole story and, and I understand why you do what you do and i I think you understand why I do what I do for sure, but for it's sure. just there's you know there's that just difference in in what you're trying to do and how you're trying to build is it. super specific. I'm just trying to have a good time, man that's about it definitely
1: definitely no and um I think that's the beauty of it that there's different flavors to it at the end of the day, right I think at the core of it, you know you and I both have a passion for talking to people and hearing their stories and having their stories being told outside of the conversation that brought you two together. Right. And I think, I think that's in media, I think that's what's super important. Like before you build an audience, before you're doing something well and consistently, you have to, maintain a passion for speaking with people and like finding information through other people's perspectives, because, you know, without that it becomes a routine thing that you're just turning out without that. You're not going to ask the questions that you've been asking me and doubling down on the things that you're interested in, right. You're interested in this conversation. So there's a lot of questions that we were sharing that um, I think speak to the power of conversation and the power of story. Um, We might be going about it differently, but I think at the core it's, 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 you know, maybe uh, two sides of the same coin. Oh,
0: you did not. Oh my goodness.
1: I did, I did. We're we're gonna have to leave it there. I'm sure (laughs) I have
0: a million more questions, but that's too perfect. David, founder of The Coin Flip. All the information is gonna be in the show notes. See, I didn't even try your last name this time because I was gonna butcher it. All the information's in the show notes, all the socials, um, uh, newsletter. I'm going to make sure there's a little sign up button there so people can click it because it it's it's great. It comes on Sunday, so you don't get newsletters on Sundays, which I think is why it comes on Sundays. So um, I love it. But sincerely, man, this was absolutely fantastic. I sincerely appreciate your time today.
1: Man, Mike, thank you so much for having me. Always good conversation when we link. And yeah, thank you for allowing me to tell my story. Can't
0: wait till next time, brother. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of For the Love of Sports with David. Not going to even try to butcher his last name again. He was so much fun. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. It's the only thing, time is the only thing we don't get more of. So I really do appreciate you giving me some of yours. If you could give us a five-star review, share this with some of your friends and let them know what David and some of these other incredible entrepreneurs, athletes, people sports employees industry experts are doing that would be incredible and uh give them all a follow everything from david will be in the show notes so check that out give him a follow there and um yeah i sincerely appreciate your time thank you so much and make it a wonderful day